Hello and welcome back to another episode of Brain Tools. We've got another amazing guest episode this week. But first of all, Kieran, how are you, my friend? Very, very good. And I think, uh, look, pretty timely given the Olympics have just started. I've been glued to my TV for the last three days. Lots of gold medals. I think we're on like two in Australia or something or other. Um, but we will be joined in a little moment by uh, the founder of Neuroathletics, a former world-class athlete and sports performance neuroscientist who's going to reveal all to us. Louisa Nicola, Thank welcome you so to the show. Much. That was an awesome intro. Thanks so much for um, having me on. I'm so excited to get into this chat with you too. Um, we're really excited as well, especially considering your your work and your field of expertise is is kind of novel specifically for us um, down here in Australia. So first question, the one I've always kind of wondered about is, this will twist a few brains, but for those who don't know, you were a world-class athlete, a triathlon athlete, competing in triathlon world championships before becoming a clinical neuroscientist and neurophysiologist. How did you go from You know, I, I love this story and I was talking about this today actually on another podcast and I always say to the audience that I used to be a triathlete. I'm definitely not one anymore. I wish, I wish so much that I could be the athlete I was 10 years ago. Uh, so I started training from a very young age. I was a swimmer, got into triathlon and yes, competed and qualified for Beijing, London and Auckland. So I basically lived and breathed triathlon. I, it was my entire existence. Um, but look, early on in my, in my triathlon career, I noticed that I wasn't going any faster. I started to become really obsessed with the science behind sport, which we all know now as sports science. It wasn't very big. And I'm talking back in, I'm talking 13, 14 years ago, back when sports science was, you know, biomechanics, we were just really learning about VO2 max. So I started to understand more about it. And it wasn't until 2011, I got hit by a car, actually. They say that you're not a... Um, you're not a true cyclist until you get hit by a car. So I got hit by a car and I broke a few bones as you do. And I was sitting there one day, not able to move. And I was thinking, how am I ever going to get back onto the pro circuit? How am I ever going to get back onto the bike? And somebody, this was many years ago, his name was Bobby McGee. He was at the time, he was a running coach for Usain Bolt. He came and did a, a seminar, if you will, and he told me, he said, Louise, I'm going to hook you up to a bunch of electrodes. I'm going to put them on your head. This is called an EEG, and I'm going to show you how you can get faster and you can get back on the bike by utilizing your brain. I thought he was a bit crazy at the time, but when I saw what he could do and when I really learned about that, I absolutely fell in love with the brain, and it was in 2011. Uh, that's when I decided to dedicate my entire life to understanding the brain. So- from there, I finished my undergrad degree. I went into med school, and I uh, I went into neurophysiology, which is pretty much the el electrophysiology we call it. It's when you get the um, you know if somebody has a seizure, for example, you go in, you put a, a cap on your head, you've got all these electrodes, and basically this machine reads what's happening in your brain. That's exactly what I do. Yeah, that's what an interesting story, as you said. Going like obviously world class athlete going into. Um, obviously all the, the different uh, events within the travel and then thinking, hey, the brain's got a oh, big yes. role to play here. I'm, I'm interested in then sort of to transition then for the unaware, what is it now that you do at Neuroathletics? So on a Neuroathletics basis? is a full service sports neurology agency. So we started off with working with soccer players in Australia. We were doing, and by we, it was just me at the time, 
and I was coaching athletes on mindset <laughs> and brain performance. So when we look at the brain and the nervous system, okay, so we, you, myself, every human in this world and animal, if you will, has this beautiful thing, okay? We have this thing called the nervous system. And within the nervous system, we have our central nervous system and our peripheral nervous system. When we talk about the central nervous system, we're talking about the brain and the spinal cord. When we talk about the peripheral nervous system, we're talking about all of those nerves that come off the spinal cord and they go into our arms, our organs, etc. And back then I was thinking, how come we're not utilizing this? you know, in sports. So I developed my company where I would train athletes on how to train their brain. So it started off there. Now we're a, a full service agency. We work directly with the NBA, NFL, Major League Soccer, and anybody would come to us and get their pre-assessments done. So just like a, a, just like a performance coach or just like a, any other coach, you come into neuroathletics. I have five certified neuroathletic coaches where they'll take you through all of our assessments. We do everything from genomics testing. We do blood biomarkers. We do, and when I say genomics, I mean we get a, a full readout of your genetic profile. We do a brain performance uh test, if you will, or assessment where we put the EEG on your scalp and it spits out a 30-page report. So we actually read absolutely everything that's happening in your brain from a neurological level. And then we put protocols in place to optimize those areas. So for example, I'll give you a really good case study. Uh, six weeks ago, one of our players, our NBA players, was going into the playoffs and we did a visual acuity test with him. And we noticed that on his right eye in the upper quadrant of his right eye. So if you get your eyeball, you split it into four, the upper quadrant of the right eye wasn't working to its maximum. So we went through then and we put three or four different protocols in place to help enhance that. Wow, that's super cool. And when you say protocols, what, so what protocols, do you kind of mean? Yeah, so protocols like? is basically when you get a measurement. So let's just say we get a measurement and we find that John, we'll call him John, John's visual acuity isn't is is sitting at around 60%. So that's what we get from the assessment. Okay. Then we put a protocol in place, meaning we put different exercises into place in a in a block training program where every single day he's working on that one specific measurement. And that is a protocol that he must do at a specific time every single day. So it's almost like exercises for the brains based yeah. on- Or exercises this, for the eyes, um, if you will. Analysis. Yeah. And the visual system. Exercises for the eyes. Wow. That's that's pretty crazy. Um, and that come, obviously comes out of the analysis you and the, the team at NeuroAthletics do for each of these athletes. A question. So say an athlete walks into your office, for example- could you share like the basics of, of, of like what you'd go through for them as an like example? Like a for the specific so protocol? They come in, you start doing all this testing. And yeah, that's a good yeah. question. So one thing that I've really loved to use, and this is something that I think everyone can benefit from, no matter if you're an athlete, if you're a father, if you're a mother, if you're just a general population, I work a lot with reaction training lights. I don't know if you've seen them, but if you follow me on social media, you probably see me uh, yep. bouncing a ball with my athletes and getting them to react to these lights. And these are really awesome. So, you know, you can get them worldwide. And basically these lights, I set them up. They're, they're programmed to an app, okay? So I might get one of my players in and I'll get him to react 
to these lights. These lights go off at specific times. They go off in a specific style, depending on how I set it. And I'll get them to react to these lights. And it's a it's a real game changer. I've been using these lights for around four years now, and I'm seeing a lot of people starting to use them. But what it does is it gets their brain firing. It gets new neuronal pathways firing, things that they haven't really been activating before. It's kind of like when you go to the gym and you work, or if you're a soccer player and your coach says, we're going to do some agility work or some speed drills. It's the same thing, but it's for your brain. Mm. I think uh, like I've I've seen some of those before, but you don't you don't appreciate how quickly all this stuff is happening in real yeah. time necessarily. And a big part of it, um, I, I assume, is sleep because I saw on your socials that you speak a lot about it as a natural performance enhancer. Just from your perspective, specifically when it comes to athletes, like why is sleep so important, and what are some of the sort of the protocols, the strategies that you suggest your yeah, athletes to good sleep question. better? And I hope everyone takes this next part. This is probably going to be the most uh, important part of the entire podcast. <laughs> Sleep is is absolutely Preach. fundamental. It's the starting point for anything. So if any athlete is out there and they're thinking, I can get by on five hours of sleep, you're absolutely wrong. It's so, it's a. I actually did that when I was a triathlete, and let me tell you, my recovery was slower. I had you know I, I consider myself so stupid back then. Now that I look at the research, uh, so. What you want to do is you want to be focusing on sleep quality rather than quantity. If you want to aid your recovery, if you want to recover faster, if you want to be able to think faster, if you want to be able to see better, make better decisions, you really need to be optimizing your sleep. And when I say sleep quality, I mean, how good are you sleeping? I'm not talking about length. I'm not, I don't care if you go to sleep for 10 hours. I don't care if you sleep for 12 hours. I care if you had good quality, decent sleep. And these are some of the things we also measure with our athletes. I don't know if you guys have seen or if you wear one, but um, have you ever seen a whoop or an aura ring? Yeah. 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 I've seen so, a, an aura ring. I don't have one. Yeah. But I, so I, I uh, what, one thing that we do with all of our athletes is we get them set up with these aura rings. They all have one. And I'm able to look at their data on the back end. So I track and measure their sleep. And I'm able to say, hey, John, you didn't sleep that well today. I don't think you should be training because if you're going to go and train when you haven't slept that well, you're really going to be doing yourself a disadvantage. And I'm talking about, I'm working with, I've got 42 athletes right now. And these are the athletes that are NFL players. They are the athletes that are are going to the NBA playoffs. And so that, that percentage, that small percent in change really means a difference. Mm. So you actually physically look at their sleep markers over the night to have a look at how well they slept, what percentage of, of yeah. REM, deep sleep, recovery they, they achieved overnight, and then use that yeah. as a basis to then dictate yeah. how they train. And or absolutely. And one train. of the things that we can measure is this thing called heart rate variability. I think you've uh, you've most likely heard about heart rate variability because it's a, such a big thing now. But for the audience who don't know what I'm talking about, heart rate variability is pretty much the the variance. It's, it's pretty much the average of your beat to beat. So we know what heart rate is. Our heart beats you know, sometimes 60 times a minute. That's called your resting heart rate or just your heart rate. But I think over time it's been hailed as one key biometric that anyone can measure and it's very easy to do, and that is heart rate variability. And heart rate variability is 
measured during deep sleep. So if I look, if I get, I get up every morning at 6 a.m. and I look at the data and I see with my athletes that John, his heart rate variability, his highest may be 200. Today, his heart rate variability was 140. And that says to me that he's not recovered. He might not have had a good sleep and he might be stressed. So then I say to him, I want your training today to not be a very hard effort. I want you to bring your training down to a really easy effort because if he's got a low HRV and he goes out and smashes his body, he's really going to be recovering and he's going to just set himself back. So I I think that's a really big thing for your audience to pick up on. So like I said, HRV, it measures the specific changes in time between successive heartbeats. Yeah, it's really interesting. So as you said, so you're using that as a bit of a diagnostic tool to then recommend the right uh, training because you want to be mindful of overtraining or undertraining, especially given yeah. the heart rate variability. Are there any like strategies or tips that you, outside of the sort of reorganizing their training, that you give these athletes to, um, I suppose, help, um, let's call it stabilize or moderate heart yes. rate variability? Oh, I love that question. So let's uh, let's let's just do a bit of a crash course, if I can. Okay, when you have yeah, uh, please. ready. When so you ready. have <laughs> a high heart rate variability, it means that your body is responsive to both sets of inputs, and that is the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. I'm sure you've heard of fight or flight, okay, and rest and digest. The sympathetic nervous system is that fight or flight. Parasympathetic is the rest and digest. So when you have a high heart rate variability, this is a good sign. It's a sign that your nervous system is balanced and that your body is capable of adapting to its environment and performing at its best. On the other hand, if you if you have a low heart rate variability, that means that one branch, it's usually the sympathetic branch, is dominating. Okay, so that means you've been stressed and that you, you know, you may be underperforming that day. So it's very interesting. So if somebody presents with a low heart rate variability, there's a number of different things we can put in place. The first thing is we really need to look at your sleep. Because it's a me- it gets measured during deep sleep, deep sleep occurs during the first few hours of the night, the first one to three hours. So we need to be thinking about how are you sleeping? What time are you falling asleep? Um, have, are you exposing your, your eyes, I would say, or yourselves to light exposure during the nighttime? These are some of the things that we need to optimize for. Another really great thing that I'm interested in is cold thermogenesis or cold exposure. This is basically where you immerse yourself, your entire body, sometimes including your head, but just your entire body from the neck down in really cold water. I don't know if you've heard of a cold plunge but it's something that I do regularly in Sydney. Actually, I have my own cold plunge. I don't have one here in New York City. So you get into it and (laughs) this has amazing effects on your heart rate variability. It really stabilizes it. The next thing is, and we may be going too deep into the science of this, but a really great thing that I've been monitoring is my blood glucose levels. So uh, managing the insulin spikes and the spikes in your blood glucose can be amazing for your heart rate variability. But look, all in all, your heart rate variability will rise and will be up and stable if you are healthy and you have slept well. Oh, one more thing. Sorry. I just want to add in one of the biggest things that plummets your heart rate variability 
is alcohol. I can't tell you. It's if I have one glass of wine, my heart rate variability just plummets to the point of like it looks like I'm dying. <laughs> wow. Yeah, not ideal. Ideal. That that is not a. Do you know why that is? Why does alcohol have such a big effect on Look, your heart? Look, I heart rate I variability? actually asked a researcher from New Zealand who is at the forefront of HRV training. We still don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's just one of those things where alcohol just has all these negative ramifications across the body and all the holistic systems. So switching gears a little bit between all your content, which uh, I follow pretty religiously across Insta, uh, the Neuro Experience podcast, your recent newsletter, I noticed a big emphasis on mindset and positivity. And your content radiates this kind of this positivity that instills confidence in the people reading it i found it quite empowering it's like a like a coach encouraging you to be better but to love yourself at the same time so i i'd personally love to know like what fuels this message and what's your what's your kind of secret source for that positive look i i remember being an athlete and i remember how hard it was to get up every morning at 5 a.m in the cold i remember how hard it was to miss weddings friends um and all i wanted was somebody to give me that motivation pre-Instagram and pre-social media. So that's what I'm about now. And I also believe that pessimism and being pessimistic doesn't get you anywhere. So I want to be that person that not only uh, motivates young individuals to live their happiest lives and be better for it, but also to realize that you can really change your life if you change your brain. So that's where it comes from. Yeah, it's that that whole notion, as you said, that you can retrain your brain. And, you know, it's almost as if neuroplasticity still hasn't been given the limelight from a popular yeah. science perspective that it uh, that it actually is possible. And I'm, I'm sort of ringing the bell, which is, you know, we have the NBA player, mm. which is Ben Simmons, who's recently gone through uh, his issues, let's put it so to speak, when it comes to shooting. I was wondering from a, you know, having been an athlete yourself and working with these athletes, say someone is struggling from a, a mental health perspective or stress is getting the better of them. Are there any specific strategies that you recommend to them um, to you know improve their well-being, improve their um, sort of stress balance, so to speak, going into say the playoffs yes, or major well, first events? First of all, without giving um, any medical advice, I would say that if anything is getting to the point of um, unmanageable, it would be wise for anybody to seek out their physician and go and talk to them. However, really great insights lately uh, with my athletes when it comes to managing stress and something that I think has been really key in the progression of this is when they've been given a protocol of journaling. Okay. So oftentimes you always want to talk to somebody. That's why therapists exist, but there's this stigma around going to therapy or going to see a psychologist. I know there is in Australia, in America, it still is a stigma, but what you find is when somebody is able to decompress their thoughts and get an outsider's perspective on what's going on in their head, you become calmer. Be- one, because you've released what's happening in your head, but also because you've, you've, you know, it's basically purging out everything. And I always say to people, a lot of my boys, I say, if you're stressed and you need somebody to talk to, you don't want to go and see somebody. You also don't want to talk to a friend get your journal out and start journaling. Just journal your thought. It's very therapeutic. So that's the one thing. The next thing is you have to learn yourself. One thing that we say in neuroathletics is we don't want to just build high-performing athletes. We really want to build intelligent athletes. 
and intel- you, you look at anybody on the pro circuit right now, I don't care which game they play. Let's take Messi, for example. The reason I say that is because I've deconstructed Messi's mind and brain and it, um, I'm doing it in a manuscript that goes out tomorrow. If you are interested, um, we do a free new- newsletter and I'm putting that out tomorrow. If you take Messi, for example, he isn't just talented on the field. He's very intelligent. So is Cristiano Ronaldo. They're both extremely intelligent. The reason that they're intelligent is because they know themselves. So if you are struggling with stress, you have to be able to ask yourself, where is my stress coming from? Is it mental? Is it physical? Okay, if it's physical, do I need to go and get a massage? Do I need to go to a physical therapist? Do I just need to sleep? Do I need to eat? Do I need to change my eating? That's the physical. If it's mental, what's driving your stress? Are you overthinking? Anxiety is just a buildup of these make-believe thoughts that we just keep thinking and thinking and festering on. And if we don't deal with them through proper strategies, we we get very stressed. So anxiety is the is the precursor to depression as well. So we really want to be able to pick up on this. So if anybody's you know thinking I'm stressed, I'm stressed going to the playoffs, you need to localize that. Just like in medicine. We need to localize where is the injury? Is it localizing to this part of the body and just spreading to the rest of the body? You need to find the source, the roots, the root cause, and then go through and put in the protocols. But you, I keep bringing it back to sleep. Sleep really is the cure to a lot of things. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. It's so funny that this, you know, old wisdom or grandma's wisdoms like you know just just sleep on it get a get a good night's sleep and it'll help so much and yet there's so much science that proves the impact of that statement it's um crazy to me so i'll be looking out in my inbox have you signed up to the newsletter uh, for that newsletter with the manuscript yeah (laughs) oh yeah absolutely i've been reading every one of them um so i'll 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 be waiting don't don't you worry i'll be waiting for that i was reading one just just before we got on this podcast actually I really like that frame of talking about journaling. So there are a couple of things we do know about the, the brain that we've talked about before. One concept being effect labeling. And it's this idea that when you write down mm-hmm. how you feel in words, the parts of your brain responsible for processing language become active, while at the same time we see deactivation or suppression of activity in the amygdala, so the parts of the brain uh, and the, the related systems, parts of the brain responsible for emotional processing. And so it's actually been shown in real time to reduce some of those feelings of, of stress and anxiety by kind of taking what's in the brain and putting it onto the page. Um, so there's some really, really solid science around journaling too. And it's one of the things I do a fair bit uh, and I have always used yeah, when I'm Yeah, exactly. And myself included. Yeah, it's a, an interesting one as well because I think you've hit the nail on the head, Nicola, where you say it's like it follows um, sort of the 80-20 principle, which is like there are 20% of the things that we do that are responsible for 80% of pretty much everything and sleep, you know, diet, exercise seem to be those major things. I know, however, that um, our audience will be like, hey, what are like some of the hidden tactics and secrets or the secret sauce? Because <laughs> they will always ask this. So Everyone I'm wants to check out. <laughs> absolutely. Like from a better performing brain or maybe the last, like, say, five, 10 years, you doing your research and there, there any, you know, if we talk about supplements, nootropics, superfoods, any different um, things that are up and coming that you think are, are going to be useful for someone to you know, create a well, better look, brain, I so think- to speak. I don't like to talk about nootropics and it's because it's just too nuanced for me. I think the best nootropics are free and they're given by mother nature and they are sunlight. Sunlight has a a very, very big impact on our circadian rhythm, our circadian biology and how we feel. Um, But one that I will bring up because I know that a lot of people like this is uh, this role that um, EPA and DHA or fish oils, if you will, play. It's a really 
fascinating thing. When we look at fish oils, and I want to just deconstruct a bit more and talk about some components of fish oil that I use with my athletes. And they're called EPA and DHA. Um, And I've been taking EPA and DHA for many years. And I really want to point out the effects that this has on depression and also the effects that it has on your brain. So first of all, in terms of your entire in terms of who we are, we're made up of cells. We're actually approximately made up of 37.8, I think, trillion cells. These tiny little cells are coated in fat. Our brain is also coated and has nutrients that require fat. And these types of fats are the omega-3s, which come from fish oil. And a component within fish oil is DHA. And there was a wonderful study done. I actually put this on my social media. And it was a double-blind placebo-controlled study that found supplementing with 1,000 milligrams of EPA can be equally as effective as taking an antidepressant in reducing depressive symptoms. So if I can give anybody one little tiny tip that would help benefit them in terms of neurological output, it would be look at the research of EPA and DHA and understand what it does for the brain and start to supplement with this if you want, and obviously provided that your uh, physician says that that's okay. I take, I every single day without a doubt, I take a thousand milligrams of EPA and DHA. And I think that that's probably one of the most powerful nootropics that we have. And underrated too. I know uh, Andrew Huberman talks yes. about it a lot, which we're both very oh, big you fans like of the yeah. man himself. My mentor. Um, and oh, lo- I love his work. I think he's yeah. doing a fantastic job of, democratizing access to, to neuroscience and putting neurobiology yeah. out there. I love that um, he's making a name for himself down under as well. He is, slowly but surely. I've actually got a, quite a few friends down here who weren't that interested in the brain and have come across his content uh, through me or yeah. through other sources and suddenly they're fascinated. They're like, oh, Sam, did you did you know about all these uh, all these other things that go yeah. on in the brain? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've been trying to tell you. To try to tell you, but it <laughs> yeah, sounds better when it does. comes from him. Sounds better when it comes from him. I understand. <laughs> of course it does. He's just got a brilliant way of words, an incredible orator. So we speaking of young professionals, we actually have a lot who tune into this podcast and many of them are just wanting to be a little bit sharper at work, You know, get a bit of a cognitive edge. Maybe they're in a high-performing uh, role. They're at one of these big tech companies or a consulting firm. On a personal level, for you yourself, what do you do to improve your brain's performance? Are there any specific habits or routines or actions? Yeah. You take? So one thing that I've been doing is I work in ninety-minute cycles. That's the first thing that I've done. I don't believe in working a full eight-hour block, if you will. So I break my working into ninety-minute ultradian cycles, which is pretty much the length that your brain can go to to optimize, you know, its its benefits. So I, that's the first thing I do. Obviously, I, I sleep very well. And in order to really maximize on my sleep, I sleep on a cooling mattress. So I have this mattress that cools down during the night and it gets me into a very, very deep sleep. So that's one thing. We know that um, getting into a deep sleep is really great for your brain. The second thing, look, the third thing I would say um, is instead of talking about what I do, let's talk about what I don't do. I don't I, – I try and stay away from refined sugars because that just messes with my thinking. It makes me groggy. I don't take any forms of illicit drugs, including marijuana, even though it's uh, legal in a, a lot of parts of America. 
I don't tend to drink alcohol. I only really drink, I mean, this sounds juxtaposed to what I just said, but it, I, I do drink wine, but not regularly. Um, and I get out and I get sunlight. So I think they're, um, they're some of the, the most important, important and basic things that I do to have a high performing brain. The link there, I think that frame of like inversion where it's like, it's not just what I do, but it's also what I don't do. I think it's actually a really important thing because you normally can improve massive outcomes, as you said, by, you know, removal and subtraction. Um, Aligned with that, I'm just wondering, because you've been exposed to a number of athletes, especially from a high-performing perspective, and you just wrote, um, as you said, that the article on um, sort of Messi and breaking down his sort of psychology and his mindset – what, in your opinion, are some of the commonalities you've seen between um, these high-performing people just in terms of, you know, what they do, how they act, their mindset, whatever it might be, given you've sort of been able to see the pattern, so to you speak, know, across time? I used to think that you have to have a passion to do what you do, but I think that that's really crazy right now to say that because, of course, you have to have a passion. The passion isn't enough. Like, I've got a passion for cooking, right, but I'm not going to become a professional chef. What these players have is they have an obsession they have an obsession to be the best. And I don't care what anybody says. If you are not obsessed with your craft, you will not be at that level. You just won't. But that's okay to some people. No one wants to be a, no one wants to be, something. I, w- I would say not nobody. A lot of people want to be really great at their sport. They don't necessarily want to be in the major league soccer or playing in the English Premier League or, you know, in the NFL. But if you do, if you do want to be at the top, You have to be utterly obsessed with your craft, with your mind, with yourself. You you need to know who you are. And I think that's the difference between Messi and, uh, you know, I've I've got a bunch of amateur athletes, junior athletes around 17 years old who play for the under 21s. And I got to tell you, some of them, I say to them, you're not, you're just, you're you're just not going to get there because you're not obsessed enough. So I think that's what it is. That's, that's what it is. The key is obsession. The reason the key is obsession is because it leads to this curiosity and compulsion towards, sorry, excuse me, compulsion towards constant improvement and iterative improvement. You notice the people, I notice the people in my life who are obsessed with a particular field or skill set are just always working on it. They're always trying to get an edge or they're always putting in the reps, whereas the people who aren't, you know, they they Mm -hmm. show up every now and then. Absolutely. And it's, that's what it is. It's just an obsession with doing better than the day before. Swinging it a little bit, and I don't don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but this is more personally for my own obsession and curiosity. Uh, have you found any like s- single thing they do outside of sleep? Is there any like physical thing these athletes do outside of sleep? I mean, look, they're they're in um, they're doing a lot of things <laughs> from getting recovery massages. They're talking. They all of them have their own sports performance specialist where they talk to somebody. A lot of them are taking on board our protocols. They're doing things mentally stimulating, um, wearing recovery boots, doing, oh, cold, cold baths, doing sauna sessions. They're doing anything they can to optimize every 24, every hour of the 24 hour day. Yeah, that's right. You heard it here first. Be obsessed. (laughs) Do it all. Try it all. Yes. (laughs) Louisa Nicola recommends go get yourself a performance coach. No, but if you're at that high level performance, I think it does make sense. And even some executives also take oh, on yeah. performance coaches um, these days too, because they just realize how important it is, like on the work playing field, to have that edge in, in meetings and, and when going through strategic yep. work and high level work. 
wrapping up now, uh, last two questions. Okay. For this is this is more for me and us trying to understand how how you came to be. What are some of the books you feel you've had the biggest impact on your life, or any? You know, this is always such about? a hard question. I I read. I've read oh, a lot a of books. Uh, a lot of them have been textbooks, but let me point everyone to a great book. Okay, and this is—it's uh, not a spirit. I mean, uh, I'll do a spiritual one, and I'll also do um, a scientific one. There is a—I interviewed on my podcast nice. the author of *The Molecule of More*, and it's all about this beautiful molecule that we know as dopamine. And dopamine is a neuromodulator or neurotransmitter, if you will, that's responsible for for motivation and it's a it's a wonderful molecule but this this man really deconstructs it in a way that enables you to understand what the brain is what neurochemicals are and what this wonderful molecule is and how to optimize for it so that's the that's the first one the molecule of more the second one that had a really profound impact on me was a book called the seat of the soul s-e-a-t the seat of the soul and that was uh once you get past the first chapter it's really great onwards because it basically teaches you how you the most successful people in the world are the ones who are able to align their personality, which is what you guys see of me, with their inner souls. So once you get those two aligned, because we often don't match them up, once you get those two aligned, you are, you can really set yourself up for success. As you said, alignment seems to be a really important one, like aligning your obsession with your values, with your actions, with everything that you do on a day-to-day basis is um, obviously really, really important. Um, the the one last one I've got for you is if you could leave the audience with one, um, I suppose, super practical brain tool for boosting you know, their brain's performance on and off the field, um, the one that you use most, what would it be to, to leave them with some passing words? <laughs> you know what I'm going to say, right? Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> well, actually, okay, let's just, <laughs> instead of just saying sleep, okay, one thing I would say is, Try and minimize the amount of light exposure you get from 8 p.m. onwards and try and do that. I know it's hard, but if you can, I mean, any type of light is going to affect it, so you don't need to go out and buy blue light blocking glasses. But if you can try and dim the lights in your house, dim the TV, dim the screen, uh, and really try and get into a dark place and not watch TV or have any light exposure from 11 p.m. onwards, like completely black out, like you should be asleep by then. And that's uh, that's the first step to optimizing your sleep. That's right. You heard it here first. If you're watching Netflix at 12 a.m. on a bright screen, very much. Stop that. Stop that. No, no, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> or any screen or any source of light. Yeah, I, I love that one. I actually heard uh, Andrew Hubbard the other day said he dims all his lights at about 9 p.m. Yes, just dims so do I. It's down, actually quite crazy. I, like. I put. I, like um, that frame. I have lights on the floor actually so it's a fun yeah come and come and stay oh, with me and you'll smart. feel like you're going Lowering into some it. sort of crazy person's house <laughs> but you'll leave and you'll be at least 10 percent oh, more correct. high performing so it's right. trade-offs um loser thank you so much for coming on today i feel like i've learned a lot and i hope the people listening have learned a lot, especially about optimizing their brains and performance and the really interesting field of uh, neuroscience and performance, the, the intersection there. Question is, where can people go to find out more about you? And Easiest and place to go. I am active on Instagram, so you can go and find me there. And I'm active on Twitter. But the greatest part of what they both have in common is if you go to the bio in both of those pages, you will get a link to go and 
subscribe to our free newsletter that my team puts out. We put a lot of effort into it. We absolutely love it. It's the source of all neuroscience education, apart from Andrew's YouTube, obviously. So um, definitely go there. <laughs> Just type in Louise and Nicola and you will find Fantastic. Well, we will link all of those in the show notes. And like I said, thank you so much, Lisa, for your time and for another cracking episode of Brain Tools. We've had thanks, an absolute guys, pleasure having awesome. you on. And thanks, everyone, for listening. That's us for this week. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>